0: Anyway, we now can do the chanting of the Metta Sutta. It's a lovely way to introduce the meditation evening. It should be inspiring and also full of you know, quite wonderful insight, such as where it starts to say, be humble, not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. I also use that to teach people meditation. to Be contented, be easily satisfied, not wanting so much. Let go of your duties when you're meditating. And be frugal, be peaceful, calm, wise, and especially not proud or demanding in nature. That contentment is so important. But that's talking about it, now let's chant it. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skilful, not proud or demanding in nature, Let them not do the slightest thing That the wise would later reprove Wishing in gladness and in safety May all beings be happy Whatever living beings there may be Whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, May all beings be happy. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another even as a mother Protects with her life, her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world. Spreading upwards to the skies And downwards to the depths Outwards and unbounded Freed from hatred and ill will Whether standing or walking Seated or lying down Freed from drowsiness one should sustain this recollection this is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Excellent. Okay.
1: you are done.
0: Excellent. So what we usually do, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes introduction about some part of meditation, I was told earlier that we have some feedback. Many of you have been meditating for such a long time, it's an international audience, and so a lot of you would love to have deeper instructions into meditation, and most importantly, how to experience it, not just the theory, but actually how it works. And many, many times I've uh, taught you about how to let go of things. And that is basically the the key part of meditation, being able to leave things alone, to be perfectly aware, and just allow things to settle down, allow things to become peaceful. And I use the word allow very carefully. It's not what you do, it's actually what you let happen when you get out of the way and just you allow the mind to find some peace, to find not just some peace, but the peace keeps growing and growing and growing. The way that my first teacher Ajahn Chah used to put it, it's like the leaves on the, on the trees in the forests. The leaves only move because of the wind is blowing. So if you take the wind away or find a nice calm place where the wind is not blowing on this particular part of the day, then you'll notice the trees will start to stop moving they'll move less and less and less and less until they become perfectly still, all by themselves. And the trees don't decide to do that, it's just their nature to be still. As long as we don't disturb them, the leaves will come to a state of stillness automatically. And that is what Ajahn Chah taught me. If you want to experience that stillness, just learn how to be aware and your effort, your mindfulness, your kindness, that is almost to restrain yourself from trying to control things and make things happen. Instead you sit down and let things happen. Let the causes be put in place, and the causes is to have this kindfulness. And I thank you for mentioning the importance of that word, kindness, as well as mindfulness. Because when those two go together, it really does start to make the uh, meditation powerful. Remember what kindness is. Kindness is like opening the door of your heart to what's happening right now, allowing it to come in unconditionally. And that's an important part of the mindfulness practice. It's not mindfulness deciding what you're going to be mindful of and what you're not, that becomes like too much desire, too much control, too much like being a control freak. And I know I always love like, stories and similes. Here's one for today. The once, you know, you, you've just been on one of these wonderful evenings with the Armada meditation group, and then afterwards, you know you have a walk outside, you get a telephone call, and somebody said, hey, are you free this afternoon? And when you say, yes, I'm free, please come along and have a cup of coffee in my favourite coffee shop. He so said, I know you prefer you know, tea sometimes, but I like coffee and I think you should take this coffee. It's very good for you. And so we'll go to this coffee shop and we'll sit in the back. I know you like sitting in the front, but I like sitting in the back. And we'll have a muffin, uh, not what you want, which is a biscuit, because I like muffins. And I want to talk about politics because politics is really important in this world, not this silly meditation, and religious stuff. So we'll talk about politics, we'll have a muffin and a cup of coffee sitting in the back and we'll stay there for one hour, not an hour to five minutes or 55 minutes, for one hour. I'll see you there in a few minutes. Now if you receive an invitation like that, where people tell you how long you're going to sit, where you're going to sit, what you're going to eat and drink, and what you're going to contemplate, politics, how would you feel? How I'd expect you to feel, you say, I don't want to go and spend an hour with somebody who's a control freak, telling me what to sit, where to eat, and what to do. So you make up an excuse pretty quickly. You say, oh, actually, I just remembered, I've got to go and see my dentist. So, so maybe next time. And to keep your precepts, because you're a good Buddhist, you keep your precepts, after you hang up from that lady, you ring up your dentist to make an emergency appointment. So you don't, you don't break the rules. And as soon as you have finished ringing the dentist make an emergency appointment, then you get another call from another friend. They said, are you free this afternoon? He said, well, I'm not quite sure. I may be. Why? We know this tea shop you really love. And I usually like coffee, but a cup of tea might be really, really nice. And that your friend says, and well, I usually like sitting in the back, but we can sit in the front if that's where you like to sit. And also that I know that um, you're very interested in meditation. Maybe we can talk about med- meditation today. And when somebody... You know, they invite you and they don't tell you where to go, what to drink or what to eat or where to sit or what to talk about. They want to talk about what interests you. Then, of course, what, you, what happens next? You say, OK, I'm coming. And you ring the, the dentist again and cancel the appointment. And then you go to the coffee, sh- the tea shop and you end up spending three or four hours over there. You'll be with a person who's kind enough to be interested in what you're interested in, to drink what you're interested in drinking, to sit where you like to sit. And I hope you can understand that simile, because sometimes that uh, when it's time for you to meditate, do you tell your mind, okay, we're going to sit here, not on a cushion, we're going to sit on the hard floor, or we're going to sit on a chair, you're going to sit with your back straight, You're not gonna sort of watch the breath as you usually do, you're gonna sort of watch kindness or whatever. And you're gonna sit for half an hour, not 35 minutes, not 25, just half an hour. What is the response of your mind? You're being like a control freak to your mind. It doesn't work, you just get tense. So instead, when you sit down to do the meditation later, you sit down there and say, mind, are you comfortable, our body, are you comfortable like this? Do you want to sit on the floor or sit on the chair? Do you want another cushion? That kindness engages you with the process of meditation. And what do you actually want to watch, mind? Do you want to watch the breath or do vipassana or do meta meditation? What do you want to do? Let your mind choose, not you. Don't be the control freak. And then after a while, you find because of that kindness to your body and your mind, the body and mind loves meditating with you. It doesn't actually think of it, this is some penance you have to do. And often you meditate there far longer than you ever expected. Because the mind is happy there, the body is comfortable. And that's actually how we do these beautiful meditations, and you enjoy what's going on. That's one of the reasons why in that Metta Sutta, and I should have said this years and years ago, but you know, may all beings be at peace? No, it's more than peace. It's just real happiness and joy in the meditation. And that happiness and joy in the meditation is very palpable. It gets really strong. And when you start getting into this meditation, that joy and happiness is not just some byproduct. Is something which takes you so deeper into the meditation. It's just like, you know, when I teach this guided meditation, which I've been doing for such a long time, that I ask you when you start to relax the body at the beginning, do this kindfulness to your own body, what does it feel like? And sometimes, actually, not sometimes, just about always, that when I start just relaxing my feet, the feet feel very pleasurable. They feel good. It's like they've just been soaked in some nice hot water on a cold day. Or my back feels like it's been massaged after I just sit there and relax it by myself. And my head feels so at ease. And I remember just recalling, being mindful of how it feels just at the beginning of the meditation, having done a relaxation of my body. It feels delightful. It's a special pleasure of a relaxed body. And when I know that and feel that, that my body gets even more relaxed. It gets so relaxed that sometimes I'm so comfortable just sitting today on a chair in this room. It's just delightful, joyful. And that's supposed to be what happens. That's an important part of the meditation, when you can relax your body like that and feel the joy, you don't want to move. Sometimes you can stay that, stay like that for a long time and eventually, you know, my life should start going onto the mind now, but then I do the same thing there. When I'm aware of the mind, I usually start with how peaceful it feels, because peace is something which you, you can get an understanding of. When you ask meditators, please watch your mind, a lot of them don't know what they're supposed to watch. They're supposed to be thinking about something or what am I supposed to do, what is this mind? In our Western world, the mind has just become almost you know, terra incognito for us. We don't really understand what it is. But at least you know the amount of peace which you're experiencing. That is a quality of the mind. The body may sort of help with creating that peace, but it is a mental state, a f- pure mental state. And so once you start to feel that peace, you know how peaceful you are. You also get insights into what causes the peace, what maintains it, and how it can, what it feels like, and how to take it even deeper into deep incredible states of peace. And when that mind gets very peaceful, it also gets so delightful and this is where the the cause of it is so well known. Being in this moment, no past, no future, (coughs) you don't learn from the past as much as you learn from the present and the future is being made right now. So when you're in the present, that just encourages you to stay here and the more you stay in this present moment, the more delightful it feels. As long as you use that kindness, the kindness that softens everything, and makes it gentle. It takes away fear. When you're in a place where other people are kind, you trust them, they've been so helpful and caring for you for such a long time, all the fear and the tightness of the mind disappears. And that's so important to get past fear in meditation. So not just the body relaxes, but the mind relaxes as well when the mind relaxes, it's just being here, just being peaceful and that by itself feels gorgeous, feels beautiful. And that means the mindfulness starts to increase in power and it's something which, uh, well actually basically it's one of my focuses, I hadn't heard so many people talk about the powerful states of mindfulness, it's not just like you're aware, you're really aware. Like you've got a flashlight looking at something, not just like a a candle looking at something. You see very, very powerfully, very deeply. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that, the mindfulness power is increasing. And as it increases, it's just gorgeous. You get the happiness and the beauty and the joy, the bliss. And I know that in some traditions, they think that something's going wrong if you start to enjoy yourself. It's almost like religion and happiness are the opposites. It's supposed to be ascetic, it's supposed to be uh, grim. But I'm sure that many of you had enough meditation experience to know that some of these meditations are actually so peaceful and beautiful and so much joy. And that's an important insight. What is that joy? Why is that joy? And what does it do for you? I know that sometimes the Buddhists, they say, oh, be careful of joy and bliss. You will get attached. And I think that many of you who have been following me for years, know that to counter that stupid statement, that the attachment to the joys of meditation is dangerous. I quote you know, what the Buddha said in the Pasadika Sutta. He said, anybody who gets attached so the joys of meditation, I mean the real joys. They can only expect one of four things. And that's the first stage of enlightenment, the second stage of enlightenment, the third stage of enlightenment, or the fourth stage of enlightenment. It's actually our path. The joy actually takes you out of this world. And you know, out into these beautiful states of mind, which are powerful and full of incredible insights into the nature of you, you know, birth, rebirth, other stages of existence, what this mind really is. And just, you know, sometimes we just attach to the wrong things. But when we get into the pleasures of the mind, it's beautiful and not dangerous at all. It's one of the reasons why, when often people ask me, is it okay to be attached to some things? And I always say yes, especially if you're on the back seat of a motorbike going through busy traffic. Please be attached; <laughs> don't fall off. Because a lot of times people have, you know, these—they just believe what they're told, but they don't use their intelligence. So please use your intelligence. There are some things which are gorgeous to attach to, and very beneficial. And of course. It's okay. So anyway, what that also means is that you learn how to enjoy the meditations and see what that sort of happiness is. That's one of the reasons why may all beings be happy, not just at peace, to make it just more interesting, more powerful. And then when you get into real states of peace, the awareness gets even stronger. It's one of the reasons I've said this to many people, and uh, I've said it you know, to you now, that to test whether a person has got into a deep meditation. Because many times people say, oh, I had this really beautiful light come in my mind, I had this incredible state of peace. I shouldn't really say this to you, but you know, I've already started this story, so I have to finish it. What I usually do, I look at you, for example, I can see Pinda in the you know the the uh, video in the, and I'm right next to mine. If Pinda came up to me and said, "Had oh, this incredible, beautiful meditation," I would look at him and say, "Pinda, I'm sorry, but anyone, any male with a beard, they can't get deep meditation." <laughs> and I'd look at him, see what see what he says. I would try to offend him. And just to see because after you've had a nice deep meditation there's no way in the world you can get offended or angry or upset or anything it's just like a test have you really had those beautiful experiences just recently and if you had nothing in the world can upset you you're just so peaceful you still have that energy from that experience of living the world of the five senses and going to the world of the mind and it's a gorgeous energy like you're you're walking on on clouds, and I love people to have that because that starts to show you what this mind and body are capable of and what meditation does. And there's just too many people I've met in the, our world that sometimes, because I travel around a lot, sometimes people come up to me and said they had this incredible experience years ago and they didn't understand what it was. And when they actually explain it to me, I say, "This is what you also experienced as well." I say, "Yeah, how do you know?" So that was an animatory experience. That was a jhana experience. And then they just get so happy they've had the information. They know what happens and what it means and how it can be well used. These are powerful experiences. But you know, anyone who meditates, why not? You don't get here by wanting it, you get here by just being peaceful, relaxing to the max, just being in this moment, watching peace, not wanting anything in the whole world. And with that degree of contentment, the mental energy builds up. You don't have any fear, no excitement. You allow this this mind, you allow it to happen. You allow it to energize. You allow these beautiful states to come up when they do come up it's my job to actually to tell you what they were and to encourage you never to be afraid but take these even further and just see and enjoy the beauty of where they lead and I don't know why these states of meditation what the Buddha taught you know why people don't teach them more I've seen ordinary people like you you know you can do it Maybe not today, who knows? But it happens, so I encourage you. Okay, so that's just a little introduction on the deeper parts of the meditation. Sometimes I kind of restrain myself from saying these. I think I'm just indulging myself, but hopefully you enjoyed those instructions. So anyway, now we can start the meditation So if you like to get yourselves comfortable on a seat, on a chair, on a cushion, wherever you can find some contentment in your body. Is that okay? Great. So here we go. It's only be a 30-minute meditation. But if you do go deep, just carry on. So sitting down, you have nothing to be worried about, nothing to be concerned about. All one I ask you to do is to relax the, your body to the max, through kindfulness, and I'm going to describe how I am doing it, so you can follow along with me. I'm dealing with my body, not yours. so. Uh, just adapt, get the feeling of what's happening and you can adapt accordingly. So the first thing I do is to make sure my feet are comfortable. So how I do that, I ask my feet, as if like I would ask you, how are you today? So now I do that to my feet, to both of them, how do you feel? And I do that with not just academic interest, with like, I care about you, you're my feet. And I would do whatever I need to do to make you comfortable. So I adjust them. One of the other things I like doing is I don't wear socks. So I can actually feel the interface between now know, the bottom of my feet, the skin, and the, the carpet in this room. I feel that it's, I always get really interested in these sensations on my body. Usually I'm walking, wearing shoes, or crossing my legs, so this is quite unique for me, sitting on a chair, and just feeling a carpet under my feet. At the same time, I make sure my feet are comfortable. There's no stress on them at all. Stress is when I can feel tightness or things are squashed and I know that that will cause you know, pain even later on. And I also realise having got to know my feet very, very intimately I would say. I know how they feel and I know how to relax them. I can just look at them like I'm doing now and ask them to relax. Request kindly they don't mind and the feeling in my feet honestly it gets more relaxed than it was 10 seconds ago I can feel that I'm not tightening up any muscles in my feet or on even the top of my feet and around the ankles and the heels my job is just to make my Feet as comfortable as I possibly can. And to do that, I'm starting to build up my mindfulness and my kindness. The two help each other. The more mindful I am, the more kind I can be, the more kind I can be, the more mindful I am. So I'm really kind to my feet now. And sometimes, and you know, I thank them. All those years they've taken me around to so many places in the old days into Armadale to give the Tuesday talk, overseas. But anyway, once the feet are comfortable I go up to my ankles. I do the same there. You can't really, I can't really move my ankles, I can move my legs, but I can notice how the ankles feel and kind of wish them well. Imagine I'm kind of stroking them so they can relax too. So there's no pressure on them. And I move up from the ankles to the calves of my legs and the front of those lower legs. Whatever I can feel and know in that area of my body, I can feel them very clearly now. And over the years I've got to know there's a special feeling The feeling I have in the front of my lower legs in the skin and very thin muscles there between the skin and the bone and the back of the legs is different. You get to be able to perceive what part of your body you're looking at and I also get to understand just when those muscles are tense and by trial and error how to relax them. So my lower legs are getting really, really at ease. And then I move up to the knees. And even I have had fallen off ladders, fallen off motorbikes uh, on sports, you know, hurt my knees. I've had injuries there, but I know how to relax those knees. So I feel them and look out for any tightness, any blockage. Imagine any blockage being uh, opened up, any tightness being loosened. I just imagine this and soon you can feel when relaxation happens. The sensations in one's knees do change, my knees get really at ease, they go to my thighs, big muscles, I realise I'm going very slow, but I kind of indulge in this because I enjoy it. And I relax my thighs and I don't go on until my thighs are really relaxed, they kind of are now. If you want to linger, please linger, but then I go to my butt. I can feel the pressure on my butt with this big heavy weight on top of them pressing into the cushion only on the chair. So I make sure it's as even as possible, which I'm doing now. That's why this chair just moved and sounded a bit. I make sure the, the buttocks are comfortable. There's always a feeling there, but I know the type of feeling which won't interfere with my meditation which will eventually disappear because the mind recognises it's not a danger to it. And then from the buttocks, I go to the waist. Usually I straighten up my back, but today I'm going to let it just lean back. It feels okay. Then go up my back. If you had your eyes opening, you see me just just moving my shoulders a little bit to make sure that they're comfortable. I do this deliberately, in order, with a lot of kindness. Because your health is important. And just that kindness, especially in your posture, really, really helps. And then I go to the bottom of my torso. And then I usually just scan up my digestive tract. Feels pretty good this this evening. But nevertheless, I'll just scan it up. And if you ever feel any tightness anywhere, or any feelings which are unusual, you just stay there for a while, give it kindness. I often feel that's how there's going to be cancers, infections, which you can catch when they first start to grow, and zap them before they cause any trouble, just through relaxing your own body relaxing to the max, really getting into easing everything, opening it up, so there's no tightness or tension anywhere in your body, so I'm moving up from my lower intestines to the upper intestines, picking up anything on the way, and calming it to the max get past my stomach to my lungs. Relaxing those lungs. My lungs go 24 hours every day. And even though that sometimes it's dusty air or smoky air or loss of pollen, or even like COVID or whatever, I always care for my lungs, so these things don't usually bother me. I'm aware of my lungs now, relaxing them, giving them heaps and heaps of kindness. It actually feels so pleasant. As if they're saying thank you to me. Thank you for caring for us. I don't just take them for granted. Go out to my heart region. I don't interfere with my heartbeat. I'm just kind to it. And from there up to my shoulders. Shoulders can be tight. It's a sign of some nervousness or fear. So I imagine those shoulders. As if there's two invisible spirits, no, actually actually four, two on each side, are just stretching those muscles, making them unnaturally tight. And I invite those invisible, imaginary beings to let go of my shoulder muscles so they can become loose, they're not hold, held tight no one's watching because you know we've all got our eyes closed so you can do whatever you want and become really relaxed I'll go down my upper arms past my elbows which are comfortable but if they're not I will do something that's what kindness is, it doesn't just know it remedies the problems because it cares for what it's watching then down my forearms to my wrists and then to my hands. And I just asked my fingers, how are you? And they replied, no, we want to be put in a better position, so I do that. And then my whole arms, body from the neck down, it's really at ease. So I have to go back up to my shoulders and my neck. I always make sure that the head is well balanced on top of the neck, not too far forward, not too far back, not too far to the left or too far to the right. And to make that happen, I just move the head mindfully and aware of where that correct position is, the most comfortable. And then I go to the front of my head. So the muscles around the eyes, the nose and the mouth. Once you're aware of those muscles, you soon find how to relax them. You, know, you don't hold anything tight. The eyes are closed, the mouth is closed, but not shut down too tightly. It's a comfort in the front of the face. And that actually reduces many of the, uh, the, the very aggressive emotions or the negative emotions. Everything is nice and loose. One last thing I often do, not always, I just imagine my brain, it's only an imaginary exercise, I imagine kind of lifting up my skull like it's on a hinge. And taking my brain out and put it in a nice little bed with a you know, beautiful satin, uh, what's it called, cloth, a pillow and a nice duvet so my little brain can have a nice rest, It doesn't need to think. I'm still mindful, aware, but I don't need to think too much. Give your brain a break. and then I just notice my whole body. I'm mindful of it. It's so easy because the whole lot is really relaxed and pleasant. It's a delight to be aware of a relaxed body. No fear, just enjoying the peace, the contentment, the pleasure. And I'm never afraid of that because I notice the joy, or rather the joy causes the body to be more relaxed. I never get as relaxed as when you experience that joy, stay with it for a minute or two. By this time, my mindfulness and kindness is really buzzing, it's strong. So now I can turn to my mind, how peaceful are you Ajahn Brahm? How peaceful are you? So I turn to mind to notice peace, what it is, to recognise it, and recognise its causes. Because the awareness of the body is present moment. You can only be aware of the body now, truly. And you have been kind. It's pretty easy to watch peace. You're probably already, you know, quite a lot peaceful. What does peace feel like? You get to know it, not in words, but in your just emotional sensitivity. What is peace and how does it get disturbed? How does it grow stronger? It's natural that the silence comes into the mind, you don't need to describe anything, to judge anything, to assess anything, you just experience the emotion of peace in silence. To me it kind of feels irreverent to try and grab it and imprison it in words, you just know and that's the purest of knowing. All you do is stay here, after a while that mindfulness, that joy, Will get stronger and stronger, you may experience your breathing, but more than that, the joy, and soon that turns into these beautiful lights in the mind, the nimittas, if that happens, don't disturb them, just enjoy it to the max, and I will be quiet for a few minutes. But it is getting close to the end of this short meditation. How peaceful was your mind? I guess really peaceful. How pleasurable is it? to finish off the meditation soon. But before you open your eyes, I want you to know how your mind feels. How does that make your body relax even deeper? Right now my body feels incredibly relaxed. These are the benefits of meditation know learn the peace and the bliss and the good health. So i now ring the gong three times. When the last sound of the gong vanishes, fades away, then you can let your eyes open to end the meditation. Gee, I won't bring the goal. I will let it shine meditation, sometimes ringing the gongs, ding, ding, ding. It is quite uh, inappropriate I think. It's nice, nicer to do a nice little gong sound. It's much more subtle. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that meditation as much as I did. Or even better, I had a good time. So now we usually have the opportunity for either questions or something you want me to to talk about. So are there any questions which anybody would like to ask?
2: Should Can I ask a question? Yes, <laughs>
0: certainly Gloria.
2: Okay, um, I, want, I don't want to use too much time but um, I really want to say thank you because um, you keep you keep saying let it go. Yes. And, uh, I do think that I'm able to let go of lots of things because of um, your talk and of <laughs> other month's talk. And the, the thing is that the more I meditate, the more I realize that I let my sense of self um, out of the way and then I let the kindness and forgiveness come into my family. And I really think that the dumber, uh take its place and healed. Um, my family as a result. A lot of things are still like, ongoing, but um, I think I find my way to forgiveness, which is, yes, a very, a very grateful thing for me. And yes, and my question is that um, some people, uh, even if they get into deep meditation, they don't end up in monastic life. <laughs> yes. And some people, they do. And, I'm wondering, um, will your practice eventually lead you to the monastic life? Is that depends on the karma or like is that (laughs) just like none of that, just like personal decision and things
0: like that? Thank you. Okay, well, I can only speak from personal experience, and it certainly does lead you to monastic life. And what's wrong with that? It's a beautiful life. It's not ascetic. It's just like enjoyable. One of the best lives you can possibly live. You always have enough food, but food is not that important. And you have just this ability just to sit down and bliss out. And you have so much joy, and that creates great health. And you can share that with other people. And imagine just, you know, the salary is terrible as being a Buddhist monk or a nun, <laughs> but just the job fulfillment you know, it really is out of this world. All those years you meet people. And just one little story, for those of you who don't listen to some of those talks I give at Nolamara, just when I went to UK recently, and just I was teaching a weekend retreat in the town of Sheffield. And that's in the north of England, it's not the main town. But when I was talking there, just. Uh, Before I was talking, I was going from the railway station to the venue, and as I was walking there, this guy, he was working in a big backhoe for the local council doing roadworks. And he opened his window and he shouted at me. And he said, Hey, you look the spitting image of Ajahn Brahm in Australia. (laughs) And he was really sort of so surprised. To see me there, I am supposed to be in Australia, I said, yes, I can understand I'm a spitting image because I am Ajahn brown." but I'm in Sheffield today. <laughs> and he stopped, not just his big backhoe, but the whole crew was in charge of them. And we stopped to work for about half an hour and asked questions and had photographs. And little things like that, just the job satisfaction I get, I help somebody and that's why he recognised me and so far away the other side of the world almost, you know, from Perth. And it's valuable, he told me how much, you know, that what I taught on the internet, just how much it meant for him. That's why he just just, made his day, made my day too. The job satisfaction is enormous. That's one of the reasons why you don't get much money, you don't get anything. You just get this beautiful, huge number of friends, All each one of you. I like looking at you know your faces. Some of you I don't recognise that much, but a lot of you I really do. I've seen you so many times, and it's wonderful. That's my happiness, my salary. The idea of a monk or a nun, and also like having nuns. When I grew up, there was only monks were given some, equity and treated appropriately, only monks, but now we have like nuns, anybody, you know you can get sort of a nice place to stay and just bliss out, what a wonderful way to live. <laughs> so sometimes it doesn't, why not? You've got a huge smile on your face now Gloria, and that's something you can t- you can kind of understand what it feels like. you know in the time of the Buddha, even that uh, the local king, the king of Sarwati at the time, used to love going to a monastery after work, go see the Buddha, and then when the Buddha asked him, why you know you're such a busy person, you've got all the comforts of your palace. Why do you come in here and see me? One of the things the king said was, because every time I come in this monastery, all the monks and nuns are always smiling and happy. Just that was enough you know, to give so much joy and peace and happiness you know, to the, the king. So hopefully when any of you come to visit any monastery, especially Bodhinyana Monastery or Dhammaloka or those people overseas, you go and see some of the monks and nuns in those monasteries, in those places, After just going in there, you can feel just the happiness and the joy and you pick some of that up for yourself. It's gorgeous. Okay.
1: Okay, Ajahn, that's wonderful and glorious, so beautiful the smile. Yeah,
0: it is. It's a A bit.
1: Ajahn, I've got some questions, sorry. Okay, please go on. Questions in the chat, would you like me to read them? Yes, please, yes, please, yes. (coughs) Uh, I'd like to ask Ajahn so many meditation questions about methods like metta, meditation, death, contemplation, samatha, and vipassana. Do they carry the same purpose? What is it? And what is next in meditation after these
0: methods? Now, they're all the same. Every meditation is the same. Okay? So, that, okay, even like, someone was asking me that, well, what about something like we do these death contemplations? You see, you know, like, a, a skull. And they said, well, you we can see a skull, and this is you know, what we do. We look at the skull and it grabs our attention, but we give it kindness. And after a while, that skull becomes beautiful. You know, it's usually white, it becomes almost iridescent white. It turns into one of these nimittas. And you bliss out and you get into jhanas and the insights come from there. Basically, there's only one way of meditation and that is like letting go. And then in the body vanish, the five hindrances disappear, and you get so much joy and happiness and bliss, which whatever you call it, it doesn't really matter. but you, you need all of them. That's why stories, again, I think, you know, Sam and Vi, Sam, you know and Vi these two people, they lived together. And they also had two dogs. One was called um, Meta the dog, the other one' was called Anapana. And so one day they decided to go up Meditation Mountain now after lunch. And so they took their two dogs, so Sam and Vi, uh, Meta and Anapana went up Meditation Mountain. And Vi took her camera because she wanted to get some nice insight shots. Sam just loved the peace up there. Meta the dog just loved it because it was happy, you know how simple dogs are. So the higher that Meta got up Meditation Mountain, the more she was wagging her tail. It was such a happy little dog and the happiness and the joy and the kindness just got even greater the more it went up uh, Meditation Mountain. When it got to the top of Meditation Mountain, oh, the view was incredible. You can see the whole universe. But it was so still and so full of bliss. But Anapana, the reason I just used to bring that dog into the picture as well, because when you get to the top of Meditation Mountain, Anapana vanishes. No breath left, you're totally still. This is what meditation is. You can say you do this meditation and that meditation, and ah, no, just let go. Make peace, be kind, be gentle. And then it just, you get peace, you get bliss. You may think you're starting on this way or that way, but no, you can start whichever way you want, a bit of this and a bit of that, but after a while it all gets so peaceful and still. Not you do one first and then one next, it just gets deeper and quite naturally, more peaceful, more blissful, more easy, effortless. You don't do anything, you vanish. Okay?
1: Well, that sounds very okay, Ajahn. And uh, we have some more questions here. Shall I continue reading? Oh, the- please,
0: yes, yes, as much as I can. Uh, the-
1: um, today, during meditation with you in the group, I had tears even though it is without any company emotions. But some kind of emotional understanding or emotional relief, although I cannot identify the causes exactly, I find that sometimes it happens to me at retreats too, yeah. especially at the last day of meditation. Of I wonder if this is symptom is a known symptom? Just curious. As I did not expect to be joining today's meditation, it is purely by coincidence, and the tearing is also under, unexpected. Much
0: gratitude. Excellent. Um, Excellent. Look, just getting joy in meditation. It's a form of what they call this pity, this joy, which comes up in meditation, brings tears to your eyes. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a marvelous thing. If you get nice and teary, just let it come. It's very pleasant, you're very high. It's just so many times. It's, I say there's two places in India where I always just burst out crying, "I can't stop myself. One is on the vulture's peak. That's where the Buddha would meditate. and it's, when I went up there, they hadn't redeveloped it. It just looked basically as the same as when the Buddha was alive. It was a cave. You can actually sit in there. Oh, that's just so full of incredible energy. And the other thing which I cry at is the suit, uh, Chaka, um Buddha statue, which is in the museum outside um, Sarnath, the old deer park where the Buddha gave his first sermon. And I, and I don't know why, it's beautiful, but it's got a little uh, break in it, I think, in the nose. But nevertheless, every time it just brings back so much inspiration. And I can't help myself by crying tears of incredible joy. These are all happy states. And sometimes, other times, you listen to a talk by a great teacher and it brings incredible joy. And that's what happens. The happiness gets so strong, you burst out crying. So if that's what happened, well done.
1: Yes, I love I love a good cry, Ajahn. Especially yeah. when something moves me deeply. It's wonderful. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I have another question for you, Ajahn. Yeah. How do you transition from retreat settings back to busy lay life? I find that sometimes it's very difficult and not so enjoyable for me to come back. Yes. Yeah. It takes a couple of days to rebalance. Yeah. My mind is so sensitive that even reading can be painful.
0: Yes. But what you actually do is that when you go back to work, whatever job you have, no one works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And anyway, you don't need to. What you do, you take these breaks in the middle of the day or in the middle of the morning and take that time just to meditate. You've just done a lot of meditation. And so, it's space during the day, maybe in the morning, lunchtime, afternoon, if you possibly can. Even if it's just going to the restroom and just going, sitting on a toilet bowl and just closing your eyes and meditating. It's not that hard to do, I've done that. And you get some nice peace, relaxation. And when you go back to work, you know, after the visit to the restroom, then you find out your mind is just clear. You perform more work in less time. It's efficiency. So you can actually go to work. And actually, that people are surprised that you, you can work so well even in the afternoons without getting stressed out, get more work done, because you take little breaks, maybe a quarter of an hour at just in the morning, sort of half an hour at lunchtime, quarter of an hour in the afternoon. And that was you know, so well received years ago here in Australia, it actually got over to um, Harvard University Business School, when they called it investment of time. It's using your ability to meditate to realize when you can sit down in the morning just for a quarter of an hour, you're actually making time, you're not wasting it. The 15 minutes you haven't got your nose in front of a computer or writing anything, you're actually, your brain is getting its energy back up again. And So in the after meditation, you get more work done in less time and good quality work too. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there was, you know, the first book which I wrote, The Opening of the Door of Your Heart. You know, one of the people in Armadale group, you know, they forced me into doing that, I'm very grateful for them. But when I actually wrote it out by hand, I did that when I was doing a personal retreat, an hour every day, and half the book was written out by hand. There's no pen and paper, no computers. And I still got a copy of that, and it's amazing. Just, there's no mistakes in it, really beautiful handwriting. that's because you were just very focused, very peaceful, and you just let it come out. And that's actually how, what work is like. If you try and force it, you waste too much time. And the job you do is not so beautiful.
1: Right, and we're ready for the next one? Yes, yes. Uh, Dear is there a self-forgiveness meditation for guilty feelings and regrets, oh. or is meditation the same? Yeah, I find, oh, yeah, it's I'll all yeah.
0: Now all the same is true, but it's also once you have you know some reasonably deep meditation, you get the insights afterwards. The insights: I mean, who are you trying to blame? What's the purpose of this life? The purpose of this life is to be allowed to make mistakes, not to be afraid of them. And once you make a mistake, it's not just forgiving, it's actually learning. You acknowledge them, you know, you bring them up, you don't try and hide anything, acknowledge it, and then the forgiveness is just taking away this idea of punishment or guilt. That was one of the things I loved about Buddhism when I first got to know it. There was no punishment. And I thought, you know, it's a monasticism. We don't have whips, or we don't put people in detention, or take food away from them. There's no, there's no punishment there. And instead, we learn from it. Punishment makes us afraid of mistakes. Learn, and we can't forgive ourselves because we think we don't deserve it. It's punishment again. We just learn. We learn and grow. We don't have to be perfect. Those beautiful trees in the forest, the twisted bent ones are the most beautiful. So none of you need to be perfect, because none of you are, not even me. I tell terrible jokes, I apologise, but that's how bent and crooked I am. (laughs) Okay?
1: Okay, and uh, thank you uh, Uh, Ajahn. Ajahn, talking about mistakes, I was uh, leading a seminar yesterday and um, one, of the, one of the people in the seminar made an made a error by blurting out an answer before it was appropriate. I rushed over to him and gave him a big hug and said, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you, because everybody was laughing. I said, thank you for bringing joy to our group. Yeah. I was thinking of
0: it as I did at oh, Yeah, thank you. That's how I was taught. You make a mistake and people, it creates laughter. What a wonderful yeah. gift it is. I think we should all determine to make more mistakes in life.
1: All right, I'm just moving down to the next uh, next uh, question about choosing to meditate, especially when I don't immediately go to bliss when I meditate. In large part because no one will meditate with me and it brings irritation, I end up Doing what they want to do, which is
0: often not healthy, versus them doing what I want to do. Okay, the best way to get people to join in with your meditation is when they find out just how it improves you, what a more wonderful person you are. So you know, you're not with other people twenty-four-seven. You have your little room somewhere, or a little part of a room, and you learn just to grab that time, make that time. You you need that time and you deserve that time. So you close your eyes, when you close your eyes, no one can interrupt you. They may try, but then you resist. This is my meditation time, so you grab it. You grant yourself that time to meditate, and when you do, you don't get blissed out every time, but what you do, do you get much more peaceful than you ever did if you'd never meditated at all. That's why I always like to ask people, at the end of the meditation, how do you feel? And you'd be amazed. Just even, you know, people starting meditation, they do feel a lot of benefit. And when it really starts to take off, it's huge. So you grab, you know, you take control of your life—not control, but you know, you deserve that. So you do your meditation and have a wonderful time by yourself. I you know, meditate by myself most of the time. It's wonderful because I'm just. Uh, my self disappears. So I always meditate with no one.
1: Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, here's a new one, question, how, how long to be able to do present moment awareness before moving on to silent awareness of present moment?
0: It happens by itself, you don't time it. You're not trying to beat your personal best. You just go into just you know, this moment and see what happens next. I never actually time myself, you know, even on this meditation. Just going into the, uh, you know, relaxing my body, then going into peace, going into, you know, not uh, uh, to silence, no inner chatter, and then just my breath comes up when it's ready. It does it automatically. You don't time it. When the mind's peaceful, the breath will happen. And when the breath has done its job, then the beautiful lights come up in the mind, the images the bliss. It's a natural progress, and sometimes it takes a long time, sometimes it takes a short time. And how long does it take when you plant, say, you know, a rose before it actually blooms? So, you know, it's a natural thing. Don't actually say, when should I do this and when should I do that, just butt out, and just trust your mind. Just have kindness and awareness. That's all.
1: Thanks so much for today. I'm new to meditation and Buddhist teachings, but life experiences over the last few years have shown me that Buddhist teachings and meditation are paths I and follow and learn from. I'm in Mandurah, not far from the monastery, but I don't know any Buddhists in Western Australia. I just what you would recommend as next steps I could take to learn more and become more involved in Buddhism and meditation? Uh,
0: Correctly, there's heaps of Buddhists in Western Australia. Many of you started here. So what to do is just um, either get online or just come and visit. Now mantra is just half an hour, 40 minutes from monastery. You can go up and see our city centre. We've got a few other places all over the place, see our nuns monasteries. So we've got, you know, Western Australia pretty well covered. So just get out there and have a look. Go on Google and look for beef for Buddhist. And see if even Bindo over there, he's got Mandurah in there.
1: Uh, oh, no, uh, I think Chris meant Mandurah. Uh, oh, Mandurah.
0: Oh yeah, sorry, Yastra,
1: yeah. B- Bandy down there, so Polly, what's
0: Yeah, they're a bit further down. But anyway, Mandurah is pretty close to uh, Bodhinyana. Right. Yeah. So you're welcome. Come and have a have a look.
1: Awesome, thanks. for will okay. Thank you too, John. Um, about choosing to meditate, especially when I don't immediately go to bliss when I meditate, in a large part because no one will meditate with me and it brings irritation. They end up doing what they want oh, I've already read it. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, yeah. Is there anybody else who'd like to unmute and ask the final question before
0: we move on? From Anonui Yes, it feels like the heart area becomes more vulnerable or relaxed. Its heart area becomes relaxed for sure, but not vulnerable. In the sense that no one could ever harm you, you know, I was talking about some deep meditations, but even just some of the really fascinating stuff. remember I was a theoretical physicist before I became a monk, and I was fascinated by the power of deep meditation. and there was this uh, group over in Sri Lanka who I you know was, uh, I would teach, and they Uh, when I was in Sri Lanka about three or four years ago, they came uh, to see me when I was teaching at a conference. And I got this uh, call from the concierge of the hotel, one of your disciples wants to come up to your room to say hello, is that okay? I said, yeah, sure. And he brought up about 60 others in a small hotel room. But it was really worth it because uh, one of the guys, he's a really good meditator, And the leader of this group was a doctor, a medical doctor, and so one day he decided to do an experiment. You know, on his uh, this guy could meditate so well that when he was in a deep meditation, he just exposed his arm and got out a scalpel and tried to make an incision in his arm. This was a doctor doing this. You know, he did do some uh, disinfectant on his arm first of all, and they the scalpel wouldn't penetrate the skin and he wasn't making this up, it wasn't a dull scalpel, it was a really sharp scalpel, but it just couldn't go through, cut through the skin and he actually videoed that and was put on one of the local TV set, channels and what meditation can do. It makes him vulnerable. But then he decided to do a follow-up experiment with this guy, with his permission, he said, look, I'm going to try that again, but this time Letting you know that during the meditation sometimes I will try this. Can I have your permission? And the guy said, yeah, sure. And so during the meditation, this guy got into a deep meditation again. And they just put anaesthetic, not, no, not anaesthetic, but just, sorry, disinfectant on the arm. no anaesthetic. And this time he used the scalpel and cut into the skin. Not that deeply. But then just you know, sewed up the wound, put up some other ointment on it and then put a bandage on it and so when this guy came out of his meditation you know, he saw he had a bandage on his arm during the time he couldn't feel a thing that's how what meditation is fascinating when you're in these deep meditations they can do an operation on you you wouldn't feel it but if without your permission they can't even cut the skin now that's weird stuff but that's actually true I kind of like weird stuff. That's, you know, theoretical physicists messing around with, you know, with quantum theory and stuff. That's all really, really weird. But that actually teaches me a lot about the nature of this world and universe and and everything and how powerful these teachings can be. You are perfectly safe. That's one thing which I will always tell you.
1: Can we squeeze in one more question? Certainly,
0: yeah, certainly. Uh,
1: Dear Ajahn, I've heard from other devotees that seven-day retreats are very good. Is there a difference after the fifth day? How do we prepare for a seven-day retreat when we have only attended one-day retreat so far?
0: Uh, You just go for it, see what happens. (laughs) So in other words, you never know how deep it's going to go and what's going to happen. And You never get anybody going crazy or running away. The worst part about it is you, know, you get a call from your wife or your husband or something and some tragedy. So that's one of the reasons why that you try to encourage people to go and you know, uh, email up the manager of the retreat if there's any sort of problem so you can actually not use your mobile phone for all that retreat. And after a while, I just the days don't have any meaning. Just, you know, what is time anyway, you just get up when you need to, and you go to bed when you need to, you can have a nap during the day, and you can meditate and you don't have bells. So you just meditate and it gets so peaceful and so joyful. And then, you know, if it's one of my retreats, I'm around to answer any of your questions. If things go a bit pear-shaped for you, it's not pear-shaped at all, it's just maybe interpreting it in a different way. And the seven days or the nine days go beautifully. So it's not a problem at all. How do you change? You just get in there and just trust yourself. You get so peaceful after a while, you don't want to go home.
1: Well, thank you, Ajahn, this evening. Your words have run out all over the world um, with over 61 uh, people here this evening. And so thank you for that, Ajahn. Thank you sincerely. Uh-huh.
0: Um, would you like to leave us with a blessing tonight? Yes, certainly. Nati me saranang an yang, me saranang warang, ete ne na jena ho to sabada nati me saranang an yang, damo me saranang ete na sacca na te ho tu sabhada nati me saranang anyang-sankho me saranang varang ete na sacca va na te ho tu sabada which means by the power of the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha the Triple Gem may all be happy and well